I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to another episode of HR Coffee Time, a podcast to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. If we haven't met before, I'm Faye Wallace, a career coach and outplacement specialist with a background in HR, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. Now, even the most ambitious and focused of us can stumble when it comes to figuring out what we want next for our career and how to go about getting it. So it isn't surprising to hear that career development conversations at work can feel a bit tricky. Whether it's your own career you want to develop or you want to encourage career conversations to take place at work that truly empower people, you might have found yourself wondering where on earth to start. It's a topic that we've looked at twice before on the podcast. Most recently, we had episode 25 with Sarah Archer, where she talked about how to use career conversations to improve retention and engagement. And one thing that Sarah and I touched on in her interview was using frameworks to help structure and open up conversations, thoughts and plans about our careers. And as Sarah mentioned, there are lots of different frameworks that exist including the 3E model that I talked about back in episode five. So that's the first time that we looked at this. But today you're going to be taken on a deep dive into another framework. It's one that's been developed by Steve McIntosh and he is the founder of a company called CareerPoint. I really hope you're going to find it helpful. Welcome to the show. It is wonderful to have you here, Steve. Thank you so much for having me, Faith. You're very welcome. And I would love to start our interview by asking you if you can just introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background on who you are and what your company CareerPoint does. 
Absolutely. So I actually began my career as a chartered accountant with KPMG. I eventually realized the error of my ways. <laughs> so I spent five years at KPMG. Partway through that, I moved to the Cayman Islands and I started in 2004 a recruitment firm that specializes in financial services, mainly accountants and lawyers. And that was really the, the start of my interest in human resources. And in around 2010, I decided to, to do a professional qualification in HR. Uh, and really, it was, it, was a, it was almost a business development thing for me because I figured I'm a service provider to HR departments. I should really understand what's going on in, in these HR departments. But what happened was that I became much more interested in it because I'm a business owner and I was managing a company. And I started to think, wow, I wish I'd known this stuff, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago when I was a manager at KPMG or when I was when I started my business, it would have made my life so much easier. And I, I became kind of a, a zealous convert to the value of HR in a business. And so uh, to talk about, I guess I should introduce career point too. So I left the recruitment firm in 2020. I just, uh, I was partway through an MBA at the time and the MBA experience, you know, inspired me to do something, to do something new with the second half of my career. So career point is a virtual coaching platform. I'm sure you and your listeners are familiar with virtual coaching. It's become quite popular. So let me tell you what career point does differently. The first thing is that we focus on early and mid-career employees, which is currently underserved. So studies show that 90% of the money that companies spend on coaching is spent at VP level and above, right? So it's very much leadership and executive coaching. And what we're doing is working with mainly younger folks because that's where it's most needed, right? These uh, millennials and Gen Zs are frustrated in the workplace. They need someone to talk to. Uh, and we need to level the playing field because women and minority candidates aren't being, uh, aren't advancing at the same speed as, as everyone else. So that's very important to us. The second unique thing about career point coaching is that what we're coaching for isn't mental health, right? That's important. It's just not our jam. What we're coaching for is career advancement. So our coaching platform is for millennials and Gen Z, and we're coaching them for career advancement. And we can talk, I'm sure we're going to come back to how that serves the company. Yes, absolutely. We will come back to that. But just in case anyone isn't really familiar with what virtual coaching is, could you very quickly fill us in on that? Absolutely. So it's uh, coaching is a Socratic learning method, if you like, where it's very much a conversation between the coach and the coachee. And the virtual component just means that it takes place digitally over Zoom. So our coaches are all on their phones and laptops, which means that our coaches can be anywhere in the world. Brilliant. Thank you. That's really helpful. Just to get that clarity, because I know there have been some apps that are launched as well that are used for coaching. So I didn't know if that had anything to do with it. And when we have had a chat before, when we very first met each other, you told me this brilliant story of the moment, really, that you realised how important career development conversations are. It would be wonderful if you could share that story with everyone. Sure. So the, the story takes place around the same time that I began my training uh, as an HR professional, really by coincidence. And it's about a young employee that I 
I refer to as Zach. That's not his real name, by the way, <laughs> but it is a real story. So this is more than 10 years ago. And Zach was a recruitment consultant originally from the UK. So he was with my company here in the Cayman Islands. He was around late 20s, let's say. He had no family responsibilities. He was earning well into six figures tax-free here in the Cayman Islands. You know, to me, he was living high on the hog. He was living uh, quite a good life. And it was an exciting time for the company because we just opened a, a new office in Hong Kong. We were, we were expanding internationally. The market conditions were very good. And one day we held a, an all-staff meeting to announce that we planned to open a new office in Bermuda. And we introduced the gentleman that we'd hired from Michael Page to head up the new office. And the next day, Zach walked into my office and resigned, which was a big surprise to me. So I wanted to know why. So we did kind of an on-the-spot exit interview, if you like. And it turned out that, that Zach was really unhappy that he hadn't been offered the chance to head up this new office in Bermuda. And this, I, which came as an even bigger shock to me because he had never demonstrated any of the behaviours that I would have expected from someone who had an interest in advancing in their career, let alone having the opportunity to, to run a new office for the company. He left every day at five o'clock. He never came to me with an idea. He never came to me with a problem and a solution. He never volunteered to lead a project. He never helped his colleagues. He poo-pooed all of the internal initiatives that I came up with to try to move the company forward. And worst of all, he'd never told me that he had this ambition to advance. And so at first, I, I, you know, I just thought that he had delusions of grandeur. His name had never come up. It wasn't just my decision. We had a management team and no one ever said, have you thought about Zach or this role? It's just his name just didn't come up. So I puzzled over this for months. You know, how could it be that our perceptions were so far apart? In my mind, he was the very last person I would have picked for this opportunity. But in his mind, he seemed to think he was the natural choice. And eventually it dawned on me that it wasn't him that was the problem. It was me. Because the reason he'd never expressed his ambition to advance is that I'd never asked. And the reason he'd never done any of the things that I would have expected someone to do was that I'd never told him what those things were. I'd never supported him to learn how to do them. And I'd never given him a reason to do them. So I had this kind of moment of clarity and panic where I suddenly wondered who else in the company was about to resign. Because thinking this through with my other employees, I didn't know what their ambition was either. I wasn't having the career advancement conversations with them. And so I hadn't had the opportunity to tell them what they needed to do to advance in their own career. So I, I fixed that right away. I started having regular discussions with my team about their career ambitions and how to achieve them. But in speaking to clients and friends who were all executives in financial services companies at the time, one after the other, they all told me that the story resonated with them. One person said, oh, I have someone just like that in my team. Uh, another person said, she had an entire team of Zacks. <laughs> and <laughs> thinking back through my own career, I had been Zach in the early stages of my career, working entirely off assumptions, making mistakes, never telling anyone what my career ambitions were and asking them what I had to do to achieve them. 
And I realized that this was just a ubiquitous problem in the, in the private sector, that most companies have this kind of don't ask, don't tell policy about career advancement. And I think much of it comes from the fact that these discussions happen so rarely that neither side gets very good at having these discussions. And so this is kind of, that was when we started working on a solution. So our solution back then, and this is 10 years ago, was to hold a series of workshops that were all about career advancement. They were designed to teach people the meta skill, if you like, of career advancement, how it works and how to have the conversations. It was a one day workshop, but it was it proved to be very popular. And 10 years later, that it was that workshop that I really decided to uh, scale through CareerPoint. It's great to hear the story again. And again, it's really resonated with me because, as we talked about before, it's really funny that I've had a similar experience. I haven't had a Zach come up to me and resign like that. But when I was in my previous HR role and I was responsible for looking at our engagement strategy, our employee engagement strategy, and when I dug into why we seem to have quite low results in certain areas, the feedback that came back was there was this perceived lack of career development opportunities. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, actually. And so I designed and then delivered with some of my colleagues a career development workshop. And I was just completely blown away by how well received it was. I I really hadn't anticipated that because I was just used to sort of slightly having to stronger arm people to go along to sessions, which would be on things like, you know, performance management and our appraisal system. And But there was just this huge appetite for people to learn about how they could develop their careers. And it was so rewarding to have the feedback afterwards. You know, people were coming back saying, I just had no idea that actually I have got so much more control over this than I realised. And there are so many opportunities and ways I can develop my career that I hadn't considered. And this is a topic that I've touched on twice before in the podcast. So I talked about one framework, which is called the three E's, which I used actually as part of that workshop. And we had the wonderful Sarah Archer on talking about career conversations. And in that episode, Sarah and I talked about frameworks very briefly. But what I was excited about having you on the podcast today is that you very generously said that you will share your framework with us. So having done those workshops, you've gone on to actually develop this fantastic framework, which is made up of eight value drivers. Would you be able to talk us through it? Absolutely. But just to come back to your your own experience, the statistics are very clear on why why this is a popular topic for young professionals. 87% of millennials say that career advancement is very or extremely important to them. Which, and of course it is, right? Because most young people have a certain lifestyle that they want to achieve. But we know that salaries, even in the best paid professions, are not enough to provide that kind of lifestyle with rising cost of living, the cost of housing especially, you know, more and more young people staying at home with their parents simply because they can't afford the down payment for a home. So they're looking at the lifestyle that they want. They're looking at the lifestyle they can currently afford. And they're saying, I need to advance in my career because 
what I, you know, the lifestyle that I want to achieve is going to cost more money than I'm currently being paid. So it's not to say it's all about the money, right? That there is there is an element of purpose, but I think that's that's why this is such a powerful concept that is the most underused tool in the performance management playbook. And that's what I learned as a as a business owner was that if you go to an employee and talk about their performance, that's a discussion that makes them feel quite defensive right off the bat, right? Because they say, well, hold on, what, what's wrong with my performance? And oftentimes it's not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that there's room for improvement, right? So that's what the boss is trying to do. They're trying to help them improve their performance, but they get defensive about the discussion. If you approach someone and start talking about their career advancement, that's a discussion that they want to have, right? Then it makes it about them instead of making it about the company. And that level of engagement and interest is really what's key to uh, the career point coaching philosophy. So to talk about our framework, it's a it's a framework of HR that only a chartered accountant could come up with, you might say, <laughs> because it's all it's all about how employees create value and why value drives career advancement. And it comes a lot from my experience as well as in accounting. And recruitment and helping candidates come up with a value proposition. And here's a really simple way to think about the concept, right? So let's say that you are 25, you're 25 years old and you aspire to earn a six-figure salary, right? So let's say £100,000 at some point in your career. In order to be paid £100,000, you're going to have to generate at least £200,000 in value for the company because they don't just have to cover your salary. They have to cover all the overheads and they have to cover the cost of training and the cost of recruitment and all that stuff, right? All the benefits. If you add all that up, it's going to come to a couple hundred thousand pounds. And so what you're solving for there isn't your own salary. What you're solving for is the value that you create for the company. Because if you go to the company and say, I'd like to be paid £100,000 plus another 100000 on top of that in benefits and overheads, and I'm going to generate £200,000 in value, the company's going to say, well, that's not a very good deal for us and we'll pass, right? So what you're solving for in your career is the value that you create. Our framework is all about how you create that value. So we break down the idea of employee value into eight different areas that we call value drivers. And we help employees understand how effectively they're using each value driver and where the opportunities are to create more value for the company through each value driver. So I mentioned before when we met that our workshops start with a brainstorming session about how employees create value. We do workshops with uh, groups of young people as well as leadership and executive teams. And we start both with the same discussion. And what's interesting is it always works out the same. So we've done this, I want to say hundreds, maybe not quite hundreds, but we've done it many, many times and it always comes out the same. Why? Because there only are a small number of ways that employees can create value, but it's very important to use them all. <laughs> so uh, to, to give you just a few examples, so the, 
we've identified eight value drivers. You could slice it slightly different ways. You could call them different things, but you know, it's it's all concepts that will resonate with your HR audience. So the eight value drivers are work ethic, which is the hours and efficiency you bring to your work, innovation, the ideas that you contribute, relationships, whether that's customer relationships, supplier relationships, and so on, expertise, the ex not just the knowledge and skills that you bring to the job, but the knowledge that you share with others, impact on morale, how you affect the productivity of your teammates, leadership, positioning, and the business environment. Great. Thank you for talking us through them and how you've arisen at them. It's interesting to hear that these themes come up when you're running your workshops. And at this point, I just want us to pause and I'd like to acknowledge for a moment that I know you are incredibly passionate about supporting people who are early on in their career or moving towards the mid part of their career. And that is very much where your organisation focuses your services. However, I really do believe that this framework and these eight value drivers apply regardless of your level of experience and your seniority within an organisation. So I think for anyone listening, whether they're thinking, "Mm, actually, I want to see if I can have a chat with Steve about bringing in some of this virtual coaching to our organisation, or if they want to have a think about, could we be starting up some discussions internally using these eight value drivers? I personally feel that these would work really well at any level. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. And so what we what we normally do with companies is we work with their leadership teams uh, to do a series of workshops that explore these value drivers and how they create value. And those workshops kind of are designed to work on two levels because when we're speaking to leaders, we're really helping them understand how their team creates value and how they can dial up the value of their team. But in the course of the discussions, they're, they will naturally start to think about how they create value too. <laughs> and, and so I said that much of this experience comes from my experience in recruitment. And in, in the latter years of my career in recruitment, I worked mainly with executive candidates. And this really came home to me because executive candidates really struggled to articulate a value proposition. So they would come to me and they would say, I would ask them what their salary expectation is. You know, They told me their outrageous salary expectation. <laughs> and I would, I would ask them, how they plan to create value for their new employer, because this would be my pitch to the new employer as a recruitment consultant, right? And they really struggled. So they would say things like, well, I've got 10 years of leadership experience. And it said that that doesn't explain how you're going to create value for the new employer, right? They would say things like, I have an MBA. Again, that's not creating any value. What are you, how are you going to create enough value for this company to cover your your generous salary requirement. And it was a, sometimes I would have the first meeting where I would ask them to go away and reflect on it and they would come back and and they would say, actually, I couldn't think of a way. So I guess, you know, there's no point in introducing me to that company. Well, it's good to hear that you can, that you agree that there's value in this framework, regardless of your level of seniority. It's been interesting hearing you talking with your accountant's hat on about value and salaries and that if someone wants to develop and progress and earn a higher salary that it can be a good idea to actually take a step back and think about what is that value that you're bringing to the organization but there's another thing as well that I think comes through as I think about your framework and this is something again that Sarah and I touched on in the previous episode episode 25 and that's that not everyone does actually want to keep on developing upwards and 
not that we have necessarily got very strict career ladders in lots of organisations anymore, but not everyone does want to climb the career ladder. And I think what's nice about this framework is it's not just about helping people to move up and up and potentially ask for a higher and higher salary. There's actually a huge opportunity for career enrichment and career fulfilment with some of these topics that you've picked up on, because we've all got different things that motivate us and drive us and fulfil us at work. The fact that this is quite varied, that you found so many value drivers, these eight distinct ones, I think is really helpful. So, for example, perhaps there's someone in role, they're really happy at that level, but they don't want to get stale and stagnant and, and feel like they're not developing themselves anymore. That innovation piece might be absolutely crucial for them, whereas someone else may feel actually, do you know what? I've just been working in my tiny little corner of the office. If anyone does work in a corner of an office anymore, tiny little corner (laughs) of their home office. (laughs) And I haven't developed that many relationships. Well, they can hone in on this piece. I'm guessing, but I don't know for sure, because obviously I haven't actually gone through your program myself. But I'm guessing it's not about saying, right, you've got to work on all eight of these things, but more about helping open up a conversation and seeing where there are opportunities that someone may want to start focusing on over the next few months or years. Absolutely. If you think about job descriptions, They're not structured according to necessarily how the employee creates value, right? How many people have innovation on their job description? Well, probably more now than used to. (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. But I saw thousands of job descriptions in 17 years in recruitment and never once, never one single time saw innovation as a responsibility on a job description. And yet we know that companies need to innovate in order to compete. If a company stayed the same and did not innovate, they'd be out of business in five years, right? If they didn't keep up with the pace of change. So we know that that innovation has to come from somewhere in the company. It has to be someone's job, <laughs> right? And it's one, the, the reason that innovation is such an important value driver is that it's, it's largely unrelated to the hours that we work. So a single good idea could be worth millions of pounds to a company, whereas an hour of your time can only ever be worth so much. And the same would apply to relationships. A good customer relationship, if you're in a law firm, could be worth millions of pounds to the law firm, right? So these are very important value drivers, especially if you want to get away from creating value by working more and more hours. There's only so far work ethic will take you before you need to get into the other value drivers. And then obviously the the ultimate value driver is leadership, being able to help other people increase their value through all of these value drivers. That's where we're all trying to, to get to in our careers, just being able to help others create value. Mm, And you've definitely hit on something within me there when you've pointed out it's not about working harder. I say pretty much every week at the beginning of this podcast that it's here to help you have a successful and fulfilling career without working yourself into the ground. And I think for lots of us, there can have been this idea when we started our careers that actually doing well at work equates to just working your socks off as hard as you can, like head down, crank away work 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 and 
I, I really don't believe that is the case at all. So although you've got work ethic as one of the value drivers, and of course it's important, again, it interests me that you have it there because I think what a fantastic starting point for a discussion with someone, especially if a manager has someone sitting in front of them who they're worried about burning out. This is actually a good opportunity to be able to talk to them about it and look at, is this tipping out of control? Could they be working more efficiently or effectively or actually by starting to focus on some of these other value drivers as well? Absolutely. It's, it's the one that everyone wants to get away from. I completely agree. But at the same time, I think the balance shifts across your career. As you said, when you start out in your career, it's really all you have. Right? You, have you don't have the relationships. You have a very low level of expertise. You don't know enough people in the organization to have a positive impact on morale. That might not be an explicit a way that immediately occurs to you to uh, to think about how you create value. So really, all you have is your work ethic and at the early stage of your career. But you need to develop the skills that allow you to get away from uh, over the first five or ten years of your career, or you just won't advance. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that people get really frustrated when they when they're not advancing, even though they're working hard. And it tends to be the reason because they're not innovating, they're not developing the relationships, they're just working hard. <laughs> and other people, uh, you know, the other leaders in the organization will look at that and say, well, that person doesn't want to advance much as I look at Zach, not that he, he did, you know, work 80 hours a week, but uh, the, that was how I viewed him because he wasn't solving problems. He wasn't thinking at the level of a leader to demonstrate to me that he had that potential and desire. And I'm hoping as we're talking that anyone listening here is able to think, hmm, this is sparking some ideas for myself and my own career about potentially areas I could be developing or pushing myself in, but also thinking, mm, how could we incorporate this kind of thinking within the organisation to encourage everybody to be having these really productive discussions about their careers? And I have got quite a few episodes that have been released already that will help with that thinking around some of them. So relationships that you mentioned. Oh, my gosh, I think all the listeners were probably thrilled when I stopped talking about this because I created so many episodes around networking and building relationships because I've always seen that as just such an essential piece of career development. It's so important, but I, I, I endorse that because... My view is that all value in a business is created by the people, right? I'm sure that's a view that most of your listeners share. And actually, when you ask executive teams, as I did yesterday in a workshop, what percentage of your company's value is created by the people? They normally have this moment, this aha moment where they say, well, it's 100% or it's 90% or something like that, right? And they, and they suddenly think, oh, I hadn't realized that before. <laughs> all of the value in this business is created by the people or almost all of it. And that means relationships. I mean, what you know, there isn't anything else. Relationships is the currency of, of career advancement and management. Well, I couldn't agree more. And <laughs> hence having so many episodes about it. I've just forgotten exactly how many there are. There are four or five. I'll, I'll link them all in the show notes so that people can go back to them if they would like to. I've also got some episodes on leadership, specifically around HR leadership and being a new HR leader as well. A couple of things, though, that are leaping out at me here is business environment. So, Looking at that as a value driver, I'm thinking, mm, I'm not sure I really got anything on this. What do you actually mean by business environment? Can I get you to talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. So 
if you think about most of the value drivers, they're, they're ways that employees create value for employers. Business environment works the other way around. The business environment creates value for the employee. How? Well, if you think about Elon Musk, for example, he began, I'm not quite sure where he began his career, but where he really made it was with PayPal, right? And that was, a, that was the environment that he was in. He was in the technology sector. He was in the, an early fintech company, which is now huge. So he was in the perfect environment to make many millions or billions of dollars. If he had been exactly the same person and he had used all of the other value drivers as effectively as possible, but he was uh, working in a, in a completely different sector, if he was a landscape gardener in Ayrshire, I dare say he would not have become a billionaire. He, he would be equally brilliant and he would be using all of the other value drivers, but he's in a much smaller market that is not particularly scalable. And that's the, that's the essence of business environment. So it's how does the business environment impact your career advancement? So is that more around getting people to think about what business environment they would like to be in or thinking about how they can change the business environment? It would be good to hear a little bit more about this one. It's more about understanding that career advancement doesn't just require a certain level of performance on your part, but it also requires something to happen in the business environment. So this is a common source of frustration for young people who are, who are trying to advance. So they talk to their boss, they say, well, what do I need to do to advance? The boss says, well, that actually, they don't often say that, but let's imagine that they did. <laughs> let's imagine that they came to the boss and said, really want to advance, what do I need to do? And the boss says, well, you need to work a bit harder, you need to come to me with ideas, and you need great relationships. So let's say this uh, young professional goes away and does all that stuff, and then comes back and says, okay, boss, I've done all that stuff, can I advance now? They're going to say, well, actually, there isn't a vacancy. So sorry, I forgot to mention that. There needs to be a vacancy. For you to be promoted, one of two things has to happen. Either the company needs to grow, and require more managers, more leaders, or someone has to leave. Those are the only two ways that advancement opportunities arise. And that's a very important aspect of career advancement that doesn't often get talked about, but it's very important to understand to resolve that frustration so that people understand that the, the game is to put yourself in the right position and then wait for the right time to come along. But you can't you can't do even if you did everything right. If there's no opportunity, it's not going to happen, and it's not it's not your fault. It's not your boss's fault. It's not your company's fault. It's the business environment. Oh, I see. I understand it now. See, I was looking at that as potentially meaning something slightly different. So I'm really pleased that I asked you about it actually, because I think sometimes we can shy away from having those discussions, can't we? If we think, oh, well, there isn't actually likely to be a promotion opportunity, and I'm scared I'm going to lose this person, so we'll just over it and not really talk about it exactly so I suppose having this on a list in front of someone as they're having a career conversation with the person who works for them at least helps open up that important conversation so that everyone knows they're on the same page and also the fact you've got the other seven value drivers means it helps that person to think about well how can I stretch myself in this role if I'm not necessarily going to be moving up a traditional ladder if I do want to stay here so thank you for talking us through that. Now, I feel like I could be quizzing you on every single one of these, <laughs> but I don't want to take up too much of your valuable time. So I'm just going to begin to wrap things up. Before I move on to asking you about your book recommendation, I'll just say, what is one more that you think we should quickly focus on before we move on to the end? 
One more value driver? Yeah, one more value driver that I've not mentioned. You're thinking, oh no, Faye hasn't mentioned this one and it's really important. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the best way to think about value drivers is that everybody has certain preferences among the value drivers, right? So some people will will work extremely hard, but normally the people who work the hardest are the ones who tend to overlook some of the other value drivers, like, for example, innovation. And we can see this because the starting point for our coaching is a a self-assessment that effectively gives the the coachee a dashboard telling them how well they're using each value driver. And what's very common to see is that people who work exceptionally hard are the people who are not innovating. And the reason is that when they come up against a problem, they just work around it, right? So they don't mind putting in an extra four hours rather than solving the problem so that they don't have to. (laughs) So to, to innovate requires a certain degree of laziness (laughs) <laughs> that not everyone has. So that's uh, the other big one that I, I think is important is the impact on morale. So again, if you have people who think that the most important way for them to add value is by working long hours, they may be overlooking a very easy way to increase their value to the company by having a more positive impact on morale. And so we explore that to say, well, what is it specifically you're doing to positively impact the morale of your team? So. It's very common for people at that moment to say, hold on, what? How I impact morale? Because most people think of morale as something that they that they receive, that they passively participate in. They don't think about morale as something that they create, but that is the reality, right? Every single person in a team makes a positive or negative contribution to morale in the team. And if you so that's an important thing to to realize and once you realize that you can you can solve for that positive impact and it might just be simple things like buy a box of donuts or you know reach out to someone and ask to meet for a coffee (laughs) but these might be things that if you're working long hours and you think that's the important way to add value you may not be doing those other things because you don't want to take anything away from the hours that you're putting into the job actually you're missing out on a big opportunity to create value Mm, And again, where I said about the fact that as far as business environment is concerned, that sometimes managers can shy away from talking about the fact that there's unlikely to be an opportunity to step up into a senior level. I think you've touched on another thing that people can shy away from, which is potentially having a difficult conversation. If the person that they're talking to is having quite a negative impact on the team and may not realise it, that can feel like a difficult thing to bring up. So again, by having a framework in front of you, I think it can help give you a bit of a nudge to address that head on. And it's ultimately going to be a positive thing for everybody involved to actually bring it out into the open and address it. Agreed. And I go further and say that if you're not deliberately trying to have a positive impact on team morale, you're probably having a negative impact. It might be quite unwitting though, right? So it's not that you're deliberately having a negative impact. It's that the lack of focus on having a positive impact. So some people go through, like, I mean, I can tell that you're one of these people, Faye. You, you aspire to have a positive impact on everyone's morale, right? Am I wrong? Uh, you're not wrong. There you go. But lots of people, I would say that I wasn't like that. So I realized that I was in this category as the CEO of a recruitment firm. For many years, I was having a negative impact on morale without trying. 
because and the reason was that morale wasn't something that I was consciously trying to contribute to. So I really had to stretch myself to say, I need to have a positive impact on morale. I set the tone in this office. And, there, and if you asked me what I'd done in the last month to positively contribute to morale, I wouldn't have anything to give you. So I need to change that. And I need to, you know, simple things like make a list of the small things that you could do to have a positive impact on morale and start doing them. Well, I think that's another good example of how the framework is very relevant for people at a senior level, as well as those who are just starting their career. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I know that you're aware I'm about to ask you for your non-fiction book recommendation. I have no idea what it's going to be. Could you let us know what it is? So I just finished a book that I really loved and would highly recommend. It was called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. He's a, a young Dutch historian and he's a brilliant storyteller. And this book will restore your faith in human nature. It's all about how people are fundamentally kind and generous. I love the sound of that. <laughs> if you don't believe that, you need to read this book. It's fascinating from start to finish. It covers philosophy, it covers psychology, it covers history. It was particularly interesting for me because I studied psychology at undergrad. So even though I you know, fell in with a bad crowd and became an accountant, I was always fascinated by human behavior, which is why I think I came back to human resources. And so he has lots of stories about how when it really comes to the crunch, people are fundamentally kind and generous. And I think with everything that's going on in the world, this is actually kind of a, it's a good book to read right now because it, it, restores, some, it restores some of my faith in, in human nature. That sounds like a great recommendation. And me asking you about the book has also prompted me to think I really should probably mention the fact that you've written a book, haven't you? Yes, it's, a, it's about uh, this theory of how employees create value. I, I was inspired to write the book after years of giving these career advancement workshops and people telling me that I should write a book about this theory. <laughs> and I call it, it's kind of tongue in cheek. So I, you know, I don't want people to think to take this the wrong way, but it's called the employee value curve. And the subtitle is the, uh, the unifying theory of HR and career advancement. Right. <laughs> and it was kind of the missing part for me of everything I learned about HR, which was what's the underlying theory here? What are we solving for? As an accountant, that was very clear to me. There was a consistent set of principles. There was a very consistent underlying theoretical framework. But when I began learning about HR, I felt that that was missing. And I think this, my book was an attempt to restore that. And for anyone who's thinking, I really want to introduce all of these career conversations and these career development opportunities, but I don't know if I can get buy-in for it from the rest of the senior team, then your book is there to give them the data and the evidence and the theory behind why it is a good idea to embrace this. I, I would absolutely agree with that because it, the whole book is about how to reconcile human resources with the financial imperatives of the firm and there is so often a conflict between the two that or a, a dissonance if you like and so this theory kind of bridges that gap in my mind it's really the, the whole uh, theory in the book is about the value proposition for human resources and that brings me to the very final question for today which is for anyone listening to this who would like to know more about career points and the work that you do how should they go about getting in touch with you 
they can come to careerpoint.com. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. And just to let you know, we do offer a free trial of our coaching programs. Uh, so we'd be delighted for anyone to reach out and inquire. Uh, we found that that's the best way to for, for companies to understand what we do and, and the impact that it has on, on their young uh, employees. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. I will make sure that I put links to everything, including your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So anyone listening now, if you would like to get in touch with Steve, then just have a little look on the show notes and you'll be able to do that straight away. Awesome. Thanks, Beth. That brings us to the end of today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, I would be very grateful if you would be happy to rate and review the show for me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really makes a big difference because it encourages the platforms to show the show to people who might not have come across it before. Thanks so much and I will be back again next Friday.